0: Well, good morning. My name is Kat Compton. My husband and I are missionaries serving in Lima, Peru. We've been there for the past seven years, and I just want to start off by telling you and introducing our video to you. Um, We have a son. He's going to be eight. No, he's going to be nine on Tuesday. And if you meet him, he's going to go, "Hi, my name's Cinco. I'm going to be nine on Tuesday." Okay. And so we have heard that for quite some time. But if you know anything about kids, kids like to change what they're gonna be when they grow up quite often. But as long as we can remember, our son has always wanted to be a zoologist. So in our home, whether we like it or not, we watch National Geographic. And so in the process of us watching National Geographic one day, we learned about a pride of lions. This pride of lions was going out because they were hungry. And so they looked for um, something to eat. And they followed a team, like a herd of water buffalo, and they waited for one of those water buffalo to get away from the pack. And in the process of that, when the water buffalo got away, he got stuck in the mud because he was hurt. He was broken and he was lost. And it was almost like when you looked at this, they did like one of those big aerial shots and the lioness is divided into the four corners of this picture. So over here, you have a group over here, over here and over here and you're gonna be like, Kat, what does this have to do with missions? Don't worry, we're getting there. Okay, and so it was almost like as the sun went down and as the mud hardened and as the water buffalo got more and more stuck, the lionesses looked at each other and they said, are you ready? Are you ready to pursue the one that's lost, the one that's hurt, the one that's broken? And folks, that's exactly what missions is. It's pursuing the person that's so far away from God, that's lost and broken and hurt. And in this corner, you have your church, Trinity. And you have missionaries serving all around the world in this corner. And you have other churches just like this one in this corner. And evangelists and ministries that train people in that corner. And we all need to look at each other at the same time and say, are you ready? Are you ready to pursue the one that's lost, the one that's broken, the one that's hurt, the one that's dying? Y'all, because in God's kingdom, every one person matters. You ready for this one? You're about to get convicted. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your social economic status. It doesn't matter your political affiliation. You matter to God. What you're about to see, Ain't no National Geographic. It's video of lives that have been changed because of Jesus Christ. It's marriages that were once in shambles. Now serving together in our church, it's babies that their moms wanted to have abortions that are now living and thriving it's orphans that were once told that they were worthless that are now telling each other how loved they are. Remember, you matter to God. We matter in God's kingdom. Let's go to Peru.
1: Man, it's what an honor to stand here in front of me this morning and represent what God's doing in another, on another continent of the country uh, Pastor, thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for letting me come. Thanks for letting my family come and present what God's doing in our city. Uh, I want to start this morning, uh, I know it's pretty typical, uh, when you talk about missions, there's a couple passages or a couple verses uh, that, uh, that, that, that typically get looked at a lot. But today, I want to just start off this morning, uh, my time with you guys. We'll start this off looking at a pretty a common passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is a, a really tumultuous time in the, uh, in the church. Uh, the, the, the Christian church was just in its infancy. Uh, Christ is getting ready to ascend. Uh, everybody's a little uncertain about what's going to happen. Uh, and Jesus, he decides this is the last, the most important thing he wants to tell his followers before he goes back to heaven. Uh, as a summary of everything that he, that he taught on earth, this was the, the last— the most important thing that he wanted to say. So Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he was presented a question, I'm sorry, verse number 6, and he said, come together, Lord, will uh, you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, no, it's not the time, the Father has not allowed us to know that. And then in verse 8 he says, but, although I'm not going to give you the answer to that question, This is the most important thing. You you, you didn't ask the right question. I'm going to answer the question you didn't even ask. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Missions is the modern expression. What we do today is the obedience to that passage. Missions is uh, taking the gospel message from a place that, has it to a place that doesn't have it missions is is carrying a gospel presentation we we are we're dealers of hope we bring hope to people who who don't have hope uh so this morning we're just going to take a few minutes and i want to introduce you a little bit to my story and kind of how i became uh to stand on this stage how i uh, am now uh, a pastor of a church uh, the, a, a church planter, just share a little bit of my story with you. Um, and I've really enjoyed, uh, guys, hearing your stories, uh, having you bring the word. This one, thank you. Javier, thank you. Uh, I'm just so excited to be here with you. My story started when I was a teenager. Uh, I grew up in a church that, uh, that was, uh, a, a, was an awesome church, but missions wasn't something that we, that we talked about. Grew up in a church that, uh, that just kind of sent some money a couple times a year to a, a program, and we checked off, uh, you know, when we looked at this verse, uh, the church was able to check off the uttermost parts of the world because they sent a little bit of money. Uh, but we never met missionaries. I never experienced what that was. I didn't know what that was until I was 13 years old. I went to a brand-new church, and it was a church that put missions in front of their people frequently. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. I was like, wait, you are the guy that goes and, and teaches and you've learned another language and you've gone to this new community and, you, and I, it was mind-boggling to me. And my, one Wednesday night, my youth pastor, he was talking about a mission trip. Now, I had just come to the church. I'd missed all of the fundraising and all of the talking and all of the thing. They were like, remember, in two weeks, our trip's going to Peru. And I walked up to the, the brand-new youth pastor, uh, my brand-new youth pastor, and I was like, Carl, I want to go on that trip. I want to go. And he was like, dude, um, like, we fundraise, and like, the trip, so it's done. Like, the, the, the inscriptions are closed. You can't go on this trip. And I was insistent. I was persistent. Uh, and I said, no, I think that I, I need to go on this trip. And he said, I'll tell you, I'll make you a deal. If you can get your passport in time, then you can go on the trip. Now, I'm a little older now, and I'm a dad, got a son, and I know what that was, what he was doing to me, right? He was, in a non-confrontational way, still telling me no, (laughs) right? Because how many of you have passports? Did it take two, three, four days, right? It's a little bit more involved than that. I was 13, and I was really naive, so I go home, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to go to Peru in a couple weeks. And my mom is like, really? You're going to go to Peru? How's that exactly going to work? And I was like, well, I'm going to go get my passport tomorrow, and then the church is going to pay for me to go, and life's good. And my parents are like, okay, well, let's see how this plays out. We go the next day, we did the passport thing. I was, I was heartbroken because I didn't walk away with my passport, because that's how I imagined it happening, right? And I, I, anyway, a week passes, and I'm like, well, that was fun. Uh, and then I get a package in the mail, and it was my passport. And this was before social media. This was before I had my own cell phone. So I had to hold this uh, this, this news. I go to the church the next day. How many of you know that energy that youth pastors have to have? I know when you, when you, when you interview youth ministry guys, they have to have, like, Jaron's energy, right? They have to be like, hey, right? Well, I walked in, it's a big youth group, there's, I don't know, about 80 or 100 of us in the youth group, and he's got this energy, right? The band's playing in his head, and he's got this, he's just jazzed. And I was like, hey, Carl, he's like, Elmo, what's up? And I pull out of my back pocket a passport, and it was like the band stopped. (laughs) He was like, oh. So I was like, where do I need to be? What do I need to do? I'm going to Peru. This is Cool. Uh, And he says, uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what you're going to do. Today you're going to get in front of the church and you're going to ask for money. I said, wait a second. Um, So I'm 13 years old. I'm from rural Virginia. If you've ever looked up the word hillbilly, that's where I was from. And uh, I was homeschooled. So it was like the perfect trifecta of I don't get in front of people. That's what that meant. So he said, you're going to get in front of the church today, and it was a a large church at multiple services, uh, and you're going to get in front of each service, and you're going to ask for money. So I sat on the front row. The senior pastor leaned over to me, and he said, young man, don't forget to say your name, where you're going, and what you need. Those are the most important things you've got to say. Yes, sir, I can do that. Now, I was shaking. I was nervous. I walked up on stage. Hi, my name's Elmo. (laughs) People laughed just like you laughed when you heard (laughs) my name. Uh, I'm going to Peru next week. I need some money. Thanks. <laughs> and then we sat down, and it was uh, the senior pastor. He had just kind of like settled into his space. He was expecting a word, and 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 here I was just like trying to get this thing over with. And the church passed an offering plate that morning and collecting an offering that paid for my trip, and also allowed me to take a very generous love offering to the missionary, and uh, my very first mission trip uh, to Peru. <laughs> It's just super cool thinking about, you know, the the humble beginnings of missions. I walked into that trip, and that trip changed my life. I fell in love with the concept of taking the gospel message into a place that didn't have a gospel presentation, assessing the need of the communities. It was very entrepreneurial for me. I grew up in a family where my dad owns a couple of small businesses. My father owns some real estate, and it was, it, was, it was my language of ministry. I had looked at American ministry, and I was like, you know, I just don't know if that's for me, but man, this, this is what God built me for. So I, through the next several years, I took, uh, I took seven trips to Peru. I even invented Uh, I convinced the church to take multiple trips to Peru a year, even when that wasn't on the schedule. Uh, And then uh, in college, I met my wife. Uh, I was introducing people, introducing myself to people as, hi, my name is Elmo. I'm going to be a missionary to Peru. What's your name? And if their look was, you're nuts. I was like, you know what? Never mind. And I would move on. And uh, this, this blonde walked up to me and said, hi, my name's Kat. I was like, hi, my name's Elmo. I'm going to be missionary to Peru. And she said, huh, me too. And my response, because I was floored, I was like, so, are we going to do this thing or what? (laughs) And we've been been together. We've been Elmo and Kat ever since. uh, This past August was 15 years ago. Uh, But I want to share with you in just a few minutes that I have, I want to share with you a story that uh, typically, again, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is a typical missions passage, but what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at a non-so-typical missions passage. We're going to look at a story of some unlikely people that God used to further his kingdom. God used, very specifically, some, some men that God used to deliver a message, because that's exactly, at the heart of it, what missions is. Missions is, is delivering a message of hope, of deliverance to a people that, that are desperate for hope. And for deliverance, so we're going to go and look at a passage in 2 Kings, chapter six and seven. And again, for the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize what happens in chapter six. There's so much really interesting stuff that happens in Second Kings. It reads like like an action comic book. It's really really interesting the things that God does in in First and Second Kings. Uh, so if you go home this afternoon or throughout the week and you're looking for uh, some some new reading uh, in your private time, this is a really interesting. Uh, Reads and how God does just incredible things. What happens in in chapter 6, specifically uh, starting in verse 24, I mean, there are chariots of fire, there are angels, there are axe heads floating, there are all kinds of really interesting stories that happen in this passage. But the the bottom part of chapter 6, we we see a city. We see a city, the city of, of Samaria that is under siege by an enemy attacker. And see what's happening here. uh, uh, There's this pattern in the Old Testament of obedience, protection, disobedience, removal of protection, and we go through this ebb and flow in the Old Testament of this, uh, of this. And we find ourselves in the in the valley here, of God's protection's been removed, His favor's been removed, and now an enemy is attacking. And they're in the middle of another one of those patterns. Sound familiar, America Christians? We do that, right? We go through these valleys, and we repent, and we find protection. And, and we're in an unfortunate situation here. And the, the city is under siege. It's so much under siege. The siege is working. It's effective that they are, they're selling donkey brains. And they're collecting dove droppings. And these are consumables and things that hadn't previously been consumables. And it's so challenging that there's even a story in the latter part of chapter 6 of two women having an agreement to, to sell Uh, Cook and consume their infants, their babies. And it's a little bit grotesque, and you think, what in the world? But this is a city that's absolutely in dire straits. This city is absolutely in a very, very difficult place. The king hears this exchange between these women, tears his clothes, sits in ash, as was custom for Israelites, Hebrews to do, And then we're going to jump in uh, chapter 7 and verse 3. What happens there, it says that there were four, chapter 7 verse 3, it says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And this conversation that we pick up between these, it says, why sit we here? Why are we sitting here until we die? So this is, we are on death's door. These four guys, these four leper men, realize that they are on death's door. And in verse number four, they make a decision to stand up and to go and present themselves to the Syrian army. That was nuts. That was crazy. Why would you go to the army that's besieging you? Why would you go and ask? But that was the absolute only thing that they had in front of them. Uh, Verse number four says, if we, sit, if we enter the city, the famines in the city, and we will die there. If we sit here, we will die also. So now come, let us go to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. So verse number five, it says, at twilight, they rose to go to the camp of the Syrians. But as they got to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no man there. And what God did a miracle in this situation. See, what God did is he caused, now I think God has a sense of humor. Does anybody else think that? Right, our physical and emotional attributes are not just from some random we were made with a design church and all of that that we have in our design that's not been affected not to sinful nature that we have but all of our attributes have come from God and we like to laugh the Bible tells us that that that, that laughter is a medicine I think that comes from God. And I think heaven is full of laughter. I don't think heaven is like these clouds with the naked babies playing harps, right? I think that's weird. I think heaven's full of laughter. And when God, in this instance, He performed a miracle, I think God laughs here. Because what happened is the Syrian army is outside and they're at the encampment and they're staging, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go into the city and see what happened. These Syrians, they, they thought they heard an approaching army. But there really wasn't an approaching army. So God just caused them to hear this approaching army. What they did later in chapter seven, we see that they, they were shedding so they could run faster. They were shedding their outer garments. They were shedding, they got all the way down to their underwear. And I think God was in heaven. There's the biggest, baddest army around. They're running away from nothing in their underpants. And the guy was going, <laughs> anyway, that's my take on how that story happened right and as the dust is settling against the same afternoon as the dust is settling as this army is running away from nothing here come on scene four lepers four guys who had been counted out four guys who had been said you're not even worthy to come into the city you have to stay outside and die alone and God chose to use those four lepers to do what we see next in the story. So later in verse number 7 and verse number 8, they, they go into this encampment and they find the encampment empty. And then they take treasure, first thing they did is they ate, right? Anybody, anybody here have fasted for more than a day or two? You know the smell of food after you fasted? These men weren't voluntarily fasting. Right? They were forced fasting, and, they'd walked, and they walked into this encampment, and the smell of food probably was intoxicating. They ate, and then as the hunger pains subside, they notice treasure that's been left in the city. And they go, uh, verse number 8, and when the lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent, and they ate, and they drank, and they carried all silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Of oh, this morning, we heard about how these are temporary things, silver and gold, corrupt and moth eat cloth, it's not a permanent thing, but these four men started off thinking, man, I was the poorest guy last night. I went to bed thinking that was my last sleep. And I woke up, now we're going into this new day, and now I've just won the lottery. I'm the richest guy around." And what they did is they went out in the desert and they hid, and then they entered another tent and they cut off things from it, and they went and they hid them. And the first time I read this passage, I thought, dude, did you forget the city that you just came from? Did you forget the smells that were coming under the door? Did you forget so soon? literally this was hours ago a king was standing on a wall crying out asking God why a woman was was screaming about how she just consumed her son and yet you've forgotten about all of that and you're taking all of this treasure and you're thinking about the house you're going to go build and the boat you're going to buy and the life you're going to have But then in verse number nine, I think something's really interesting. What happens in verse number nine, there's another dialogue scene that happens. And then they said one to another, we aren't doing right. We're not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. If we wait until tomorrow, then this is gonna turn out bad for us. So let's go and deliver this good news. And here's what I wanna tell you today, church. Missions, although we can spend hours and college degrees and years, explain the minutia of missions. Missions is this, those what those four lepers did in verse number nine. We have a message to deliver. And in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our frailties, in spite of our leprosy, God chooses to use us to deliver a message of hope to people who are dying seven years ago my family and i moved to peru and we had the the one simple uh task we thought was simple right plant new churches it's three words it's a purpose statement there's a lot i mean i could unpack that for days and days but you know what we are church we're hope dealers We go into communities that don't have a representation of Jesus, who have never thought about Jesus, who think it's unimportant, this God that created us, and we present them the answer to the problems that they're facing. No, listen, city, you don't have to eat your babies anymore. You don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to live in despair, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. God has sent his son to be the answer for that scenario. So my story, when it started so many years ago, I walked onto that stage and I said, Hi, my name is Elmo, I now have the opportunity to walk into communities and go, Hi, my name is Elmo, I want to teach you about Jesus. Now I have the opportunity. God has given us incredible opportunities during our time in Peru. We planning to the church, just celebrated its third anniversary. We're getting ready to launch a second campus of that church last fall. My family and I were invited to be the chaplains for the Peruvian Congress. How cool is that? That I get an opportunity, I have a badge, I can walk into Congress and go, hi, I'm Pastor Elmo, I wanna talk to you about Jesus. And they go, come on in. How cool is that? Now I have an opportunity. to to not only minister to kids that are on the street, but I also have the opportunity to present gospel, present hope, present deliverance to the people who make the decisions for the country. I've had the opportunity to work in two different orphanages with, with, with girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking, with girls that have been rescued from sexual abuse, and have the opportunity to sit down and go, you don't have to live this life. There's something better. There's something better. Now, if you talk to my wife or maybe my son, you'll learn that I've got lots of leprosy. I've got issues. If any of these men who are on stage this week are honest, they're going to tell you the same thing. But here's the cool part, church. It doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on you. The message that we carry supersedes our inferiority. The message that we carry supersedes all of our imperfections. The message that we carry, the torch that we carry, supersedes all of that. And I am honored to be able to serve in the capacity that God's called me to and to pastor and lead a movement that's leading people to find and follow Jesus. And so I have a challenge for you today. In Luke chapter 6, Verse 8, I just want to leave you with this challenge today. Jesus, as he's talking, he's in the middle of this long sermon, this long talk. In the middle, I'm just going to pull out Luke 6, verse 38. Jesus, he's explained the verse before. It's a verse he's telling us to not judge. And that's a verse that's often taken out of context. But as he's here talking, though... He answers he said but give and it will be given back to you now see there are some people who teach that you give so you can get we heard that this morning that's not the that's not the. we give so that we can give more see what happens here let's let's read that 638 it says give and it will be given to you and most guys lots of guys stop right there but there's a next sentence and it says good measure Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Some guy stopped there. Will it be put into your lap? For with the measure that you, you use, it will be measured back to you. So here's the illustration that's, that Jesus is using He's using the illustration of a vessel, or of a cup, or of a container. And your life is one that as we give, as we invest, as we go out of our comfort zone, God then refills so that we can go back out and we can give. Nowhere in Scripture does He tell us, give and then I will give you the next size up. Give so that I can give you a biggie sized cup. Give so that I can, so that you, can. church, we, we, that's not how it works. God is inviting you into the process. God is inviting you in because God's sovereign. And if you choose to bow out of the process, he's going to tap the next guy. And he's going to execute his perfect will with or without you. But our gracious God has invited you into the process because he loves you. And because he wants you to experience what it's like to be a hope dealer. He wants you to experience what it's like to bring the gospel to somebody who is on their way to hell. Because he loves you. If you live with your hand like this, fearful of losing all of the things that God's entrusted to you, he's gonna just pull you out of the giving stream and you're just gonna stuck with what you got. Or he'll take all that away. But what God wants you to do is live fearlessly in faith, not in fear. That's, right, those are taglines right now, right? In every aspect of your life. Because I've, I've surrendered... To be a missionary in another country, take the gospel, but your mandate is to evangelize your community. Maybe you're not a missionary that moves to another country, learns another language, uproots your family, and does all this other stuff, but your mandate to evangelize is the same. Your mandate to to reach your neighbors is the same. Your mandate to be a deliverer of, of hope to a community is the same. Just like these four leper guys, don't give me an excuse of, well, but I... Whatever that next sentence is, it's rubbish. You don't have leprosy, nor were you kicked out of your city. God can use these men. God can use you. So my challenge to you, I'm going to close in prayer. My challenge to you is this. What city are you mandated to take the gospel to? What community around you do you need to take the gospel to? God sent me to my city. It's 11 million people a bunch of folks who need Jesus. We need a bunch of churches planted. But us as missionaries cannot do the job without strong people holding the rope. It was once said by a famous missionary, it was once said that I will descend into into the depths of hell if you hold the rope. Church, I need churches just like you to partner with me and to hold the rope so that we can go to Peru and we can plant more churches. And we can see more marriages restored and more orphans taken off the street and more people in heaven. Amen? that has been a long day. Let's try that again. Hey, church, I want to go to Peru. I want to plant more churches. I want to see more people go to heaven and more orphans off the street. Right? join me in prayer, please. Father, thank you for this opportunity we have to share about our ministry, to talk about the things that you're doing around the world. Father, I ask that you they continue to work here in this house, in this place amongst these people as they endeavor to, to reach their community, as they endeavor to reach their family, as they endeavor to reach their neighbors, their city, their town, their state. Father, I ask that they be sensitive to the leading that that you've given them, and that they understand that in spite of their imperfections and their humanity, God, you want to use them in your story. Father, we thank you for all the things you've done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.